The Commentary Booth is a show for media lovers by media lovers just like you. If you want to support the show, go to pariomagazine.com.au. Welcome to the Commentary Booth, where we watch, and you guessed it, commentate on the week that was in movies and TV. I'm your host and play-by-play commentator, Jamie Apps, and each week I'm joined by a rotating cast of colour commentators to help you find your next viewing treat. This week I'm joined by a freelance social commentator who lists their favourite movie as American Psycho and favourite TV show as Yellowstone. Welcome to the show, Blake Robinson. Jamie Apps, thank you for having me. So we, we're keeping American Psycho after... This movie, or are we changing? <laughs> we changing best movie. Can I live my life guilt free in my own skin, changing my favorite movie from American Psycho to Barbie, or not? Is that acceptable? But no, that's not going to happen. Barbie's very good movie. We've been through this. It's enjoyable, very entertaining. But you know what? It's missing explosions. <laughs> explosions. Well, we'll get to explosions, won't we? Yes. Whether lackluster or not. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's been a big, it's been a big week, couple of weeks, hasn't it, for us? It's very big movie time. But like I said, you may as well get high on the supply that is available because it's about to be not as abundant very quickly. I think there's already there's already things drying up. I've just seen uh, the second June movie is pushed back to like June next year already oh is it wow yeah that's a hot take for you i think a bunch of things are going to start getting bumped yeah it's it's going to start drying up so we may very well see barbenheimer in the cinemas for six months forget your month to six week runs this could be a six month run (laughs) yeah especially like things that have already like they're already in the can ready to release i think studios might start bumping them because they want to have that the promo the pre-release promo run with the stars on the exactly the red carpet and doing all the interviews and stuff rather than just sending the only person we can send is the director look it's there's it's no secret that this barbie promo tour has been one of the greatest of all time do you think that had much to do with these box office numbers we're seeing or like, did people want to see this film anyway obviously it's had some sort of an impact but that's much of a significant impact I think the biggest thing for this film is going to be word of mouth. Yeah, I think just like the the word of mouth and the cachet of Barbie really helped. It's just got a cult following. Especially that women, like it captures women of all ages and then they drag along their, their friends or they drag along their partners. So mm. you're kind of getting two people every single time rather than just yep. one person wants to go. Like, it's, like we discussed, like this is going to be a hit for the uh... – the 50, 60-year-old women too because it's very entertaining for an adult. Whereas today's topic of discussion, the great Oppenheimer, I feel as though people who want to see it, they want to see it anyway and me telling my mate that it's good isn't breaking news and like it's me saying it's good isn't going to convince someone else to go see it. I don't think like if you want to see it, you want to see it. Like I don't think anyone's on the fence about seeing it. And I think like the box office numbers in comparison to Barbie reflect that. Like this hasn't gotten any new groundbreaking fans that want to go all of a sudden see it because someone said it was good. Like we all know it's good. <laughs> yeah, it's Christopher Nolan movie. Like it's going to be high quality, stacked cast. Like you can easily convince someone to go watch a fun movie with some stars in it that goes for two hours, but you're not going to convince someone that has nothing to do to go watch a three-hour pretty like dark movie. <laughs> <laughs> pretty dark. It's. One of the heaviest movies I've seen that's not technically horror. Heavy in what way are you saying, Jamie, is Oppenheimer? Heavy as in, I think my entire preview screening for this movie walked out of the cinema in silence. Yeah, it wasn't one of those ones where you walk out and you instantly start having a discussing chat, discussing fun scenes. Like it was a, it was a moment to yourself, process it, walk out, wasn't it? That movie finished and I just got up, silently walked out yeah. and drove home pretty much in silence, just being like, wow, 
didn't even talk to yourself. That's how much you had. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was the same. There was a lot to unpack. And I think like the first thing I spoke to my movie comrades who I went with was, I can't even imagine what it would have been like living back in those times. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it was just straight reflection of history and what unfolded as opposed to trying to dissect the movie. It was a heavy one. Speaking of heavy, uh, do you, is this movie banned in Japan by any chance? I don't think so. They did a very good job of um, respecting what happened and respecting the victims, didn't they? Yeah, I have seen some criticism of... This wasn't a movie about the bombing. It was a movie about the bomb. It's about the creation, the science behind the bomb and the fallout from it. So we'll make that clear. This isn't a, like, a sensitive movie. In saying that, I, what would I, I'm not directly affected by it, so I can't really officially say it's not sensitive, but they did a good job of keeping it respectful, I believe, by also not even showing, spoiler if you want action and gore, there is no actual footage of Japan or any sort of bombing of that like in this movie. They did a very good job of keeping that sort of under wraps. Yeah, and that's that's the criticism I've heard. There is a movie about the nuclear bomb and there's not a single Asian person in the movie is that what they're saying i saw a bunch of people complaining about that all right if they put japanese people in this movie there would be riots i believe saying that's you can't do that yes please respect the victims you can't win jamie we know that and we continue to learn that and that's just life 2023 welcome Alrighty. so yeah this week we're going back in time to discover the story of the father of the atomic bomb j robert oppenheimer in Christopher Nolan's new epic, Oppenheimer. Before we dive into the, the film, though, with the strike going on, Pario Magazine stands in solidarity and support of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA in their fight for better working conditions. Our publication has always been focused on the creative brilliance of these individuals rather than on the business of film and TV. As such, we will continue to highlight their creative talents during this time so that their contribution to our entertainment is not overlooked. Speaking of that, uh, not to burn bridges, but Netflix aren't exactly <laughs> playing along, are they? <laughs> no. Let's hire an AI guy paying, what, $900 million or something? $300 million or something stupid? It's basically like Woolies putting in like eight self-service checkouts and taking jobs off young teenagers. Mm-hmm. That's, there's the analogy. <laughs> That's what Netflix are doing. They're putting in self-service counters. Yeah, they want to hire a AI specialist to basically run the AI division and with the money they want to pay that person, they could pay like 30-something actors. No, it's scary and it is the future. And one day it's just going to be like sort of one person in charge of all these robots. And the most ridiculous thing is like a small studio like A24 who is – one of my favorite film production companies. Yeah. We all love A24. They're actually allowed to continue filming. Wow. Because they have agreed to every condition that the Writers Guild and SAG-AFTRA have requested. Huge. I didn't know that. So they've been given an exemption to continue producing movies, which if a small studio like that can meet all of these requirements, why can a Disney or a Universal or an Amazon and a Netflix meet the same requirements. Interesting. Well, I'm not mad about that because just pump out the A24 content, please, if that's all we're going to get. Yeah, I'll take A24 movies all year. That's fine for maybe. If that's all we're going to get <laughs> for the next 12 months. Because, like, even with Oppenheimer, the budget was $100 million for this movie, which is lower than the budget for Marvel's Secret Invasion TV series and essentially half of the cost of Thor Love and Thunder. And this movie is head and shoulders miles above both of those. I was shocked to see that this had a $100 million budget and Barbie had a $150 million budget. Can you believe that? Yeah, that's pretty crazy considering as you look at the uh, cast list for this movie alone. Oh, my God. All right, the first thing I thought of... Uh, <laughs> And this is like only early doors when I started watching. I was like, this is the NBA All-Star game for movie casts. Mm-hmm. And just when you think you had seen every single person you've ever seen in a movie, 
like right up until like the dying minutes of the movie, there's like someone else pops up. Um, quick off, I've like took as many notes as I could of like people cameos. Um, couple that stood out to you, unexpected maybe. Rami Malek was a good one. Of Freddie Mercury fame, I had no idea he was in this. There was oohs and ahs and murmurs in the cinema when he popped up on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that I heard his voice and knew who it was instantly, Casey Affleck. As soon as he started talking, he was like an army general. As soon as he started talking, he was like, oh, Casey Affleck. Uh, ben Safdie, good to see him. Very prominent role too. Mm-hmm. The great Ben Safdie of Safdie Brothers fame. Good time, uncut gems, a couple of the greats there. The president, President Truman. Yep, Gary Oldman. How about Josh Peck? He was he played a small but pivotal role, the one who pushed the button of the atomic bomb from uh, Drake, Drake and Josh on Nickelodeon. There's a couple of stars from Halloween franchise in this. Dylan Arnold and Jefferson Hall, mm-hmm. very recognisable. Then there's Alex Wolf. Speak of A24, Alex Wolf from Hereditary. Yep. Um, and the great Jason Clark, Australian. He's doing. He's in everything at the moment, and I love it. I see he's in a movie that's premiering Venice next month too. Okay. He's a very good actor, but I feel like the roles he always plays are like irritating and like. It's just they're like villain roles and he plays a good like villain that you want to hate because he plays the uh, in Oppenheimer. Um, Roger Robb, the, is that the like, in the guy in the interrogation thing? Yeah, interrogator, I was going to call him, but for a sake. And who else? Matthew Modine, recognise him from Stranger Things. He's like the cop mm-hmm. doctor from Stranger Things. He's in Full Metal Jacket, Dark Knight Rises. Like I said, there's lots of uh, Christopher Nolan alumni in this, as he likes to do in his movies. And uh, Josh Hartnett was another great addition as well. He was fantastic as Ernest Lawrence, the physicist. Oh, true, true. But I think there's one standout, clear standout performance, and it could. It's. It's. There's going to be. There's got to be Oscar buzz. And it wasn't Cillian Murphy as a lead as Oppenheimer. I believe it was Robert Downey Jr. Oh, in a best supporting actor role. If he doesn't get best supporting actor, I don't know who does. I'm not here, Jamie Apps, if Robert Downey Jr. doesn't get Best Supporting Actor nominations for this film. He was impeccable in this. Fantastic. Career-defining. And, like, almost unrecognisable, too, with the makeup. Yeah, almost unrecognisable. Because all his his, uh, on-screen moments in black and white, too. Yep. Yeah, and he's fantastic. In, like, typical Nolan fashion, like, likes to jump around across timelines, which can be a bit hard to follow. I think Emily Blunt is another one who will be right up there for Best Supporting Actor. 100%. I said that as well. Her scene where she gets interrogated, her little interview. Oh, so good. I'm going to say it's my favourite scene in the movie. It's very powerful and she just goes hell for leather. Yeah, she shreds that bloke. (laughs) Shreds. One of the all-time scenes. One of the all-time Christopher Nolan scenes, I'm going to go out and say. Brilliant. Emily Blunt, brilliant. Um, take nothing away from Cillian Murphy in this. Clearly brilliant. For a lead in a three-hour movie, he still had a lot of screen time. A lot of lines. Just brilliant. Just brilliant. Flawless. Couldn't fault it. Even the moments where he doesn't say anything, like he says so much with his face. Oh, says so much. But and like I said, that's as good as, as great as Cillian Murphy was as Oppenheimer. I... That's just takes volumes about Robert Downey Jr. and Emily Blunt. Mm-hmm. And Florence Pugh, she has some some scenes. Oh, there's some scenes. Florence Pugh fans, there are scenes that will impress and make you happy. Unless you see this in Korea. And yeah, then, then, but you still get to see her lovely face, but that's about all you'll see. <laughs> Added a black dress to her for no reason, which makes no sense. Like, in the context of that scene, like, she gets up and puts a random black dress on. Like it's pointless. They couldn't CG like a, a dressing gown or something where it would make a bit more sense. So Florence is one of the cast members we knew were in this. And what did you think of her role? I was I was unclear of her character going into this movie, but she doesn't. She's not really in the movie much. But when she's in it, she's in it, or it's in her. You could say. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think she plays a really critical role in terms of the development of like Oppenheimer as a person. Yeah, yeah. Because he hundred percent. She's a good call. kind of 
she's the, the thing that he falls back on when he's having problems and it opens up his mind to like mental health and struggles that other people have because he's sort of he is a very divisive character where he's kind of obsessed and cocky but then he realizes that there's people out there worse off than him yeah and he doesn't like he doesn't do well with people like the social interactions and she's like the one person that like grounds him and he he has that um and when she was lost that really brought him back down to earth and i think you could say that motivated him and re-sparked his creative energy Mm -hmm. her energy her soul sort of motivated him for his future endeavors and essentially maybe what got the atomic bomb off the ground or on the ground, you could say. So yeah, as much as she isn't on screen, other than early in the movie, she has, like she definitely is there in spirit for the remainder of the movie and like motivates Oppenheimer. That's Florence, another main cast member, which we knew, uh, Matt Damon, one of the greats. Mm-hmm. Great little role. Yes, another very good performance. Very good. Um, so he plays like the army general that sort of pretty much called the shots on behalf of the military, yeah, and the government. He was like the in-between guy, the middleman for Oppenheimer and the president, essentially. Yeah, like he, he's the, the military head of the Manhattan Project. Yeah, brilliant. I th- yeah, I thought there were a lot of like almost career-defining roles in this. Like like all the oh, – no, I know – when I say career-defining, I know all these actors have established their own – because they're greats, they're the goats, but really good roles, like really, really solid performances. I think for nearly everybody in this movie, it is their best performance ever. Bro, I, Robert Downey Jr., this is incredible. I, I was speechless at how good he was. Yeah, coming off um, Iron Man, like he's great in that, but this is, this is a whole nother level of... <laughs> there was one particular scene, you know how some actors just have their thing or like recognisable thing? When Robert Downey Jr. runs or like jogs, he does it a lot in Sherlock Holmes. He does this little, like, I don't know, it's recognizable. Like if you just saw like a three second clip of an actor like running from behind, you're like, that's Robert Downey Jr. He does it when he's like running out of some building. I'm like, oh my God, it's so funny. It's almost like comical. Like I've seen the Sherlock Holmes movies so many times. They're great. They're witty as. And I was like, oh my God, that's funny. (laughs) Like in all the like the seriousness of this movie and his character in this, he does a little funny little Sherlock Holmes run, hop, skip, and a jump. And even like for Christopher Nolan, for me, this is his best output that he's ever done. Like it does such a good job of being this really emotional story that has like different layers to it. You've got like the biopic as the core, but then you've got like the spy espionage and then the, the backstabbing and the chess game. But then you have this like romance story woven throughout it of like a love triangle. And then there's a little bit of horror towards the end as well. Like there's so many genres at play, but he does a great job of making them all work and feel like they all belong alongside each other. Uh, yeah, it all worked. Cause I know, I know what you're saying by a lot of movies will try put like a little love story, romance tale in, to like break things up and because people people love a love story like romance in a movie and a lot of i know a lot of writers will try to put that sort of stuff in to keep people's attention but at work this time because eh? a lot of time it doesn't work you can tell they've just put it in yeah like this one felt like it was it made sense for it to be in there and didn't feel shoehorned at all yeah because i think because it's not told in like a traditional sense like it's kind of just oh we're introduced to gene tatlock and then we're introduced to kitty and we kind of just move along. Like, yes, they're together now. We don't have that whole like back and forth, like romance angle, like where we're, we're trying to woo the girl and get her on our side. Like they're just, mm. here's the person. They have a quick conversation and that's enough. And you're like, okay, I feel the chemistry between them straight away. It wasn't trying to make you take sides. Was it? Like, that's like you said, like a lot of movies would do. Mm-hmm. Don't want you to like choose, choose your own journey. Well, you can't really choose your own journey in a movie like this because it's, it's like not made up. <laughs> yeah. Choose your own adventure, so to speak. Back on like touching on the, he did like you said, he touched on bits of horror in this. Some of the scenes more notably was when Cillian Oppenheimer sort of, they started to bring in how he had blood on his hands and he had those thoughts that, hang on, I've killed all these people. Yep. And some notable scenes when he was giving that speech um, up on stage. Oh, that's a phenomenal scene. 
Yeah, well, this is the second of two scenes which I thought Nolan absolutely nailed where he made everything silent and the sound was delayed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second of those was the atomic bomb test itself yep. where there was no sound for a couple of minutes. It was just all silence, all deafening noise, and it was just all visual. Then all of a sudden, the sound comes, which is absolutely brilliant, by the way. And then that was the same again when Cillian was giving his speech in front of his comrades, and it was just all silence, just stuck in his own head. He was just watching all these people cheer and celebrate while he's stuck in this moment of guilt, and I've got blood on my hands. What have I actually signed up for? What have I done? Then he walks off stage and puts his foot in like a charred body, mm-hmm. which is a very confronting scene. Yeah, that whole scene, like they echo that visually as well, where they sort of blur everything around him, and Cillian is the only person in focus for that majority of that scene. And then he sort of starts to see people in the crowd, like their faces are like melting off, and he steps on the charred body, and it's like he's really sort of having visions and feeling the fallout of his creation. Although the only moments in the film that touched on what actually happened in Japan, that was the closest we got to what this bomb actually did. So yeah, if you're watching this film and want action and you want bombings and you want war, anarchy, then you're not going to see it. Um, spoiler alert. It, it is a war film, but it's not a war film. One of the first things I said when I walked out is like, is this a top 10 war movie ever is it in a conversation yeah i guess top 10 world war ii movie ever maybe yeah definitely a world war ii movie because we all know the best war movie of all time is forrest gump and i won't hear otherwise yeah that's just facts i'm sorry what else what else did you like what else any other pivotal scenes um there's no secret that i like to shed a tear when watching literally anything uh tears were shed in this when uh, Cillian tells Emily to bring the sheets in after a successful uh, test bombing. Uh, very emotional scene. Yeah, their, their little code for if it went well or failed. I don't know if I'm thinking or reading too much into this. Were the sheets up to protect the house from the blast? I don't think so. Like the shot from the blast or to cover like the windows? Or was that just a, me just overthinking it? I think it was just a their little code thing. like. Leave them out and I'll tell you to bring them in if everything goes well. If it fails, then I'll tell you to leave them out. And then they then play that later when he's going through his um, trial hearing thing and he calls her and says to leave them out. Yeah, that was great. That was a great how they did that again. You mentioned this to me beforehand. For some reason, you've seen it before me. Not sure how that happened. (laughs) Is what it is. Um, you said it didn't feel like three hours and I was the same, bro. Yeah. I didn't look at my time the whole time I was watching this and I was sort of putting off needing to go to the toilet and I was like, all right, I'm going to buy the ball. I'm just going to run to the toilet. When I went, walked to the toilet, it was like 20 minutes to go in the film. I looked at my phone. I was like, there was 20 minutes to go. I was like, what? <laughs> I could have just made the whole, made it. I was like, what do you mean there's 20 minutes to go? Yeah. I was like, I, I thought at least another hour and a half with this film. So I lasted like two hours and 40 minutes out going to the toilet. And like, yeah, I was like, oh my God, I could have waited 20 minutes. Yeah, it, it flies. Like it's slow, but it doesn't feel slow. Like you don't feel like um, it's chugging. Like it just tells the story in such a compelling way that the time flies by even though the story is progressing quite slowly. And there is a lot of dialogue and a lot of parts you really have to follow. Like a lot of these hearings – you really have to listen to and a lot of back and forth. You have to like, and like, like I said, the timeline jumps around. You have to pay attention. Mm-hmm. I'm glad like this is a, you've got to see this in the cinema. For, like oh. one of the main reasons is this, like, cause everyone's guilty of it. I don't care if you're watching a movie home, you got your phone in your hand and you're scrolling every now and then you're replying to messages and you put your head down for 45 seconds. You miss so much of a film. Mm-hmm. And Nolan films are synonymous for that. Like tenant, you can't just, Inception, you can't just stop watching for like a minute. Yep. Because then you like look back up, you're like, oh, shit, what did I miss? Like, oh, where the hell am I? So, yeah, this is one that uh, yeah, you've got to see in the cinema, not only because it's a big screen epic, but yeah, like you can't just willy-nilly happen to have a scroll on your phone and you just miss too much. Even like on that epic front, like 
you need to see it in a cinema for the visual, like the grand size of everything in this movie because the entire film was filmed in IMAX, which is very rare. Usually when they do that, they pick and choose which scenes to film in IMAX. Um, I may have stuffed this number up, but I'm fairly sure I'm right. The IMAX film reel is like 17 kilometres long. 11 miles, so yeah. So yeah, 17 kilometres. 11 miles and weighs 600 pounds. Yeah, I think they, they said there's only like 30 of them that exist in the world. I saw a photo in like one of the cinemas in the US that has the IMAX reel. Yeah. And they had to like build extra tables and stuff for it to sit on as it like unfurls to go through the machines. Like, geez. It would be, it would be sick to watch. But like, like I was saying with the, the epicness, like you have that visual scale, but the soundscape as well, like just that opening, you feel everything. Like, it's not just, I'm hearing it all. Like, you feel it in your chest. It's like, oh, okay, we're in for it now. But the one thing this was a bit different to other recent Nolan films is there wasn't an epic opening scene. Like, Tenant, absolutely powerful opening action-packed scene. Dark Knight Rises with Bane when they're crashing that plane. Absolutely one of, probably the most epic opening scene of a movie ever. This doesn't have it. This is like very sort of drip fed, but like you said, it's powerful in other ways. On reflection, it's a very powerful scene. Oh, upon reflection in the grand scheme of things, yeah. Because like you see all the like raindrops hitting the water and like the the ripples. Yep, 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 yep. Makes a lot of sense now. It then ties back to the end of the, the chain reaction destroying the world because you see all the ripples like overlap, overlapping. Look, if he doesn't have like a blockbuster massive opening scene that type of closing scene oh my god hectic bro yeah i couldn't believe that that's that's my favorite scene of the entire movie and i think that's the scene that really sat with me like oh they basically just said mutually assured destruction is inevitable yeah i was skeptical at first, not sceptical, but just unsure of Einstein's placement in that little universe. And I thought his little, because he isn't in it much, there's probably what, three or four scenes where he pops up in the film, gets mentioned a few times, but doesn't have a massive role. Without, I wasn't too adverse into what he, his role was in this whole atomic bomb. But now that I know, I, like, I thought he was perfectly used in the film. Yeah, he's fantastic. And I loved, I loved the really arty shots that, uh, Nolan uses too to like depict physics and it's it kind of reflects on Oppenheimer's thoughts on what physics is like yeah he doesn't look at, at physics as just like general science like he looks at it as like art and you're like you see that with like the oh yeah the shots of like the atoms and things like yeah the electrons like all flowing like just those shots like they would make epic like screensavers just those big scenes of like <laughs> here's like these particles flying around each other yeah. Um, oh, it is art to these people. They're artists. The fact that there was no CGI used, I thought, was incredible as well. Like those those particle effect scenes, they're all with practical effects and the explosion. Uh, the explosion, yes, this movie there was no CGI. Would I, am I impressed by that? Not really. Is my life changed because there's no CGI on this? Not really. Um the scene of the bombing, the test bombing, wasn't that epic. And they've, that's obviously because it was real and they haven't used CGI. And they can't use an actual atomic bomb, even though people are like, oh, did, did he really use an atom bomb? Like, no. I would have been more impressed if they had actually used CGI and made a real big deal out of the bombing scene, the test bombing scene, and made like an epic, epic explosion. Rather than the fact that girls, they flex their muscles by not having CGI used. Like maybe even have used actual footage from the real life, just flashing bits and pieces. That would have been good. The black and white footage of the origin of the actual test. Because that, that footage is nuts. Not taking nothing away from the scene in the movie. It was sick. Like I said, it was great how they did the delayed sound, just made it deaf. I thought it was great. Uh, quick shout out to Ben Safdie for putting zinc all over his face. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that helped. That was brilliant. 
I love how like naive they all were to the effects of radiation as well. Like they're all just sitting out in the open, not realizing that they're. Yeah, that, he says that guy sitting in his car, and someone comes up to him and he's like, "Hey, you need to put glasses on." And he's like, "Oh no, the glass stops the UV. Like glass doesn't stop the UV." Then he's like, "What's going to stop the glass?" Yeah, I've I've been sunburnt in the car. Right. Then he's like, "What's going to stop the glass?" And um, and I thought, well, like the shock alone from that glass is just going to smash this windscreen and it's going to end up all in his face. I thought for sure that's going to happen, but spoiler alert, it didn't. Yeah, I think they were, they were probably far enough away that it, was, it had diminished a bit. Like you mentioned that, that silence, I love that because it, it, it echoes like what would happen in that moment because it's, yeah, an atom bomb like sucks everything in and then goes out. So you get that silence and then the shockwave hits and I thought that was great. I also loved that they used... Um, like, you know, the like static noise that you get from a Geiger counter to measure radiation? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I did notice that, yeah. I love that they use that in like the music as like an element in music. I was like, that's phenomenal. Uh, yes, yeah, it, it was scored brilliantly. Shock no one. Anyway, what was I saying? Back on the blast. Yeah, like it would have been cool if they flashed in actual footage. That I don't think that would have made the movie tacky because you know how it can if they put in real-life footage into a movie. It's like, oh, that's a bit cheap. Oh, that takes away from everything. But, yeah, I would have been more impressed by an absolutely epic, realistic-looking atomic bomb blast than the fact that they did like a pretty lackluster one just to keep no CGI. Yeah, I, was, I liked the blast. Then. Well, I'm not going to tell Chris Nolan how to do his job. But that's just what I would have done. <laughs> I, was, I was looking and they, they used a, a combination of gasoline, propane, black powder, aluminium powder, and magnesium flares to recreate the test. And I thought it looked crazy. Like it looked pretty big. Probably the biggest like real life explosion I've seen in a movie. Oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't even know what's real and what's not these days in movies. What did you think of the like scenes with the science and they were trying to determine if it was going to be safe to even test this thing. And they came up with, the math says it's near zero. That's good enough. Oh, that was funny. Matt Damon's like, near zero? What do you mean? <laughs> so he's like, so he's like, there's a chance that this could end the world. And he's like, well, there's about 99% it won't. He's like, and the 1%? <laughs> yeah, I think it was yeah, like 99.99% chance that it'll be fine. But there's that like, Nearly zero chance that we uh, set the atmosphere on fire. Well, in hindsight, it was a hundred percent chance it will end the world in one way or another eventually. Yes. Whether that's an immediate, whether that's an immediate effect of the explosion itself by instantly ending humanity, but in one way or another, this creation is has ended humanity. It's we're in the process. It's we're in the process now of being destroyed by it. Yeah. It just might not happen in our lifetime or our kids' lifetime, but it's going to happen. A bomb like that is going to kill, blow this place up. With Russia going a bit crazy at the moment, like, yeah, it's literally like... And that was another recurring scene that Cillian, they made the viewer, like, reflect on and think about is this guy in front of the screen right now is creating something that will and can end humanity. And he knew that. And he was aware of that. That's the only reason we don't use nuclear weapons anymore because we all know that if one person uses them... Now everybody's going to use them and that's the end. And there was another scene or moment in the film where I forgot who it was approached Oppenheimer and said, hey, it's all well and good to create this thing and it's good that you're prepared for what's like happening, but are you prepared for what's going to happen after the bombing? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, this bomb's going to work, you'll end the war, la, la, la. But after that, you're going to unearth this weapon to the world. And are you ready for the aftermath of that and what's to come in the future of this powerful weapon? They kind of are, but yeah, it's just, it's a matter of time until someone uses one, whether it's a government-based use of one or a terrorist-based use of one. Like, it's just very concerning that these exist these days. Los Alamos, out in the desert. Um, no doubt going to be the most popular tourist attraction in America in the next 12 months. Yeah, it's going to be nuts. Um, you, you won't get near the joint. <laughs> Good for them. I, for one, wouldn't mind paying a visit next time in America. It's never crossed my mind before. Yeah, I don't think I've ever wanted to go to New Mexico. Now, like, keep me on a plane. 
actually now Me- now New Mexico actually sounds like really interesting. Go to Los Alamos, see the the side of the test, and then uh, Roswell. Go see some aliens, which according to the U.S. government now exist. Each to their own on that one. The U.S. government are having hearings as we speak about what they've seen and encountered, and basically have essentially said it's freaking aliens. We just don't have any idea where. Yeah, I'm popular. Yeah, I won't, I won't get too involved in the politics here. But yeah, uh, Los Alamos would be sick to visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, how's the town that just popped up, sprung up out of nowhere? Yep. So what was the budget on this project? I remember looking, and in today's figures, it was insane. Was it even it cost them $2 billion back then, I think? Jesus. It's $24 billion today. $2 billion in 1939. The 1940s, 50s, that's nuts. Employed nearly 130,000 people. It's $24 billion today. Holy smokes. That's crazy. But the world war was on the line. So. Yeah, like they said, they're willing to uh, sacrifice like 30,000 Japanese lives for, the, for millions of American lives. They've seen it as an investment. On that front of sacrificing America, uh, Japanese lives, uh, Harry Truman, what did you think of uh, his choice of how they chose the place to bomb <laughs> um because he went on a honeymoon there in kyoto with his wife and he didn't want to bomb it <laughs> yep so that was the one reason they didn't bomb that i was like jesus christ that's bad that was so, that was a pretty funny like witty i wonder how accurate that is from what i've heard this is all very close <laughs> for those playing at home they were like brainstorming like cities and suggestions of where they should bomb and kyoto came up and he's like, oh, hang on, we're up, we're up. They didn't want to bomb Tokyo because it was like the capital and too important. But then they, they looked at, yeah, Kyoto as, oh, no, it's such a culturally, culturally important place. And I went there on a honeymoon. Okay. That's fair. Hiroshima and Nagasaki, meh. But then, yeah. And then afterwards, Harry Truman basically told Oppenheimer to toughen up Princess. Like, Jesus. It just comes off as such a horrible human being. Yeah, piece of shit energy, eh? Lack of energy. <laughs> and then I loved, like like we mentioned, like so many genres, but then also so many themes as well. We had revenge and vengeance, jealousy at play as well, politics, power, control, like shadow governments where like uh, the Strauss character was basically running everything without sort of yeah running anything or doing anything. Then uh, the double cross and like, the scientists basically abandoning all of their morals because they wanted to achieve this like scientific breakthrough and then knowing like the, the outcomes that it would potentially have. On that, what did you think of, of once they got the bomb tested, everything done, then they packed it on the back of the trucks, took it off to battle, and um, the Matt Damon general character pretty much says, thanks for your service, Oppenheimer. Uh, you'll hear from us. Pretty much like, thanks for thanks for everything you've done. You're no longer required. And pretty much said... We'll let you know how it goes. Let you know how it goes, which he found out. He was listening to the radio. Like, oh, yeah, Japan's been bombed. It was a success. That's how he finds out. Just they abu- use him, abuse him, leave him out to dry. Yeah, no phone call. Like, thanks, guys. No, nah, yeah, just listen. Turn the radio on. You'll probably hear it on the news. Uh, what is that? Is that covered at all? What are we um? We were going to do a little something, something at the end of this, weren't we? Uh, yeah. The only other things I had as a note were the some of the makeup to like age the actors wasn't great. Oh, bro! I was going to say that at the end. That no, that scene at the end where Oppenheim is collecting his medal mm-hmm. and everyone is aged. It's like they use that iPhone instant face aging app. Yep. What did you think of some of those? So, I thought some of them looked great. Like I think Cillian looked really good. Emily Blunt looked great. Some of them looked a bit average, but yeah, mixed outcomes. But I think the main ones that we expected looked good. That was weird. I don't think they, did they need to do that? Did that scene need to happen? I guess so that like we all understand that he did eventually get the recognition he deserved. And then the other note I had was, with a Nolan movie, you kind of expect that crazy twist. And for so long, this movie didn't feel like a Nolan movie. Like I couldn't see where the twist was coming. And then when it hit with the 
Strauss was the one behind all of the the crap happening to Oppenheimer. I was like, oh, there's the twist. Oh, he snitches, eh? Snitches get stitches. See, on that, I reckon it could sit a lot of people down in front of this movie telling nothing about it, and I reckon 8 out of 10 wouldn't be able to tell you this is a Christopher Nolan film. No, because, yeah, it doesn't have, a, like, crazy twists and stuff. It's just, and then there's just this one big one. You're like, oh, okay. That changes the whole, like, complexion of the rest of the movie. And even, like, visually, like, like yeah, we knew it was an old film, so we're like, oh, yeah, this is sick, and, like, we could, we could tell, but... It wasn't blockbuster, massive, action-packed as others. And there actually was, it wasn't like as many big scenes and constant action as other Nolan films, was it? No, it's, it's very much more of a, a drama movie. And then, so in terms of uh, the box office, cost them $100 million, but so far globally in the opening weekend, they have made $174 million, making it Nolan's biggest non-Batman movie. It's the third biggest biopic to ever open in the US, and it's the biggest R-rated opening since Joker in 2019. I didn't think of it as a biopic. <laughs> it is. Just not your usual biopic, not the typical. It's Nolan's first film since Insomnia in 2002 to not feature Michael Caine, which was shocking. Huge. He's been, he's been in every Nolan film since Batman Begins in 2005. That's massive. He wasn't seen in Dunkirk, but he had a voiceover as the commander that speaks via the radio. He's like in his 90s now anyway, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, and then there was one glaring error in the, the, the scene we spoke about where Oppenheimer is giving his speech afterwards and has like the, the moment with himself. Uh, the flags that are being waved have 50 stars on them. Oh, uh, and it's not correct to the, that time. That 50-star flag wasn't introduced until 1959, and the bombing occurred in 1945. What a doozy. So the flag should have, the flag should have only had 48 stars. Hey, that's a good one. That's a good one. Nolan is normally a stickler for that stuff, so I'm shocked that yeah, that's that, interesting. that snuck by. Someone on the production team is getting fired. I wonder if there's more to it. Well, I haven't heard about that one yet, so. I assume it was probably just someone in, like, set. And prop didn't think. Yeah. They were just like, I have 50 stars, US flag. They just went, oh, we need US flags and just grabbed US flags and didn't go, wait, is this the accurate flag for the time period? Maybe like a Canadian or someone was in charge of all that sort of stuff. Just didn't know any better. Probably some random intern that was like, hey, we need this, this many flags. And he just went and bought them from the party store. Just get a couple off Amazon. Yeah, we just go, yeah, see what's in the prop store department. So before we close out our episode thought we should rank our favorite nolan movies i have a list of seven what would you rank as your top three or four it's a lot of nolan films i've only seen once because they're that sort of that sort of films but this isn't going to be like a groundbreaking list but third i'm probably going to put dunkirk and these next two I've seen so many times, and they're some of my favourite movies, period. Um, the Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises is number one. I am obsessed with The Dark Knight Rises as a film, period. It is an absolute epic. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's all I've got to say. <laughs> um, Honourable mentions, obviously, to Interstellar, um, Inception. Yeah, but uh, Dark Knight Rises is just the pinnacle for me of... I'm not an action film guy, notoriously. I don't, I'm not into your, I don't know, your Mission Impossibles, your John Wicks. I don't know, the list goes, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not into superhero movies. Everyone says that. Um, ask me about it and I say like, yeah, I'm not into superhero movies, but I love Batman and Christopher Nolan has made me fall in love with Batman. Yeah. He has portrayed Batman so well. Have you seen the new Batman? Uh, Robert Patterson. Yeah, yeah, I haven't. It's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I had mixed feelings going into it because it wasn't going to be Christopher Nolan but it was great for what it is but Batman to me is Christopher Nolan so The Dark Knight Rises it's just brilliant I've left Tenant out because I've still only seen it once when I was in the cinema and I'm still trying to unpack it and I'm not quite sure what happened I need to watch it again yep right so I'm going to have some controversial hot takes here that might piss you off right now here we go first and foremost The Batman is better than both Nolan Batman movies yeah, that's fucked up, man. 
<laughs> I knew that would get you. What the hell? I wouldn't say it's better. It's a brilliant film. Don't get me wrong, but you can't compare the two. Uh, I think it's a better depiction of the original idea of what Batman is. Oh my god! Like I said, I'm not a comic book guy, and I don't really care like how Batman was depicted. But Christopher Nolan does a good Batman. And I have really enjoyed it. <laughs> he does a great Batman, but I think Matt Reeves topped him. Well, I'm not. Like, I'm not a comic book purist. So I don't care how he's portrayed, but I like how Christopher Nolan portrayed him. Fair enough. So then, in terms of my Nolan movie rankings, here we go. Give me, hit me. Oppenheimer is at the top. Huge. I absolutely adore this movie, and I want to see it in cinemas probably two or three more times. Like it's freaking fantastic. So Oppenheimer, number two, The Dark Knight, number three, Inception, number four, Interstellar. Five, The Dark Knight Rises. Six, Tenet. And seven, The Prestige. I was not a fan of Dunkirk. I enjoyed it for what it was, but it's not one that I'm desperate to go back and rewatch. Kid doesn't like Harry Styles, I'm taking it. Harry was fun. The biggest thing I want to pull apart from that, uh, why do you have The Dark Knight so much higher than The Dark Knight Rises? And why do you have The Dark Knight so high, period? Heath Ledger or the bank robbery scene? Yeah, Heath. I think it just has a better hero villain dynamic than the Joker. The Joker is a much more iconic character than Bane to begin with. But then, yeah, the, oh, yeah, the interplay 100%. between Batman and the Joker, I think, is stronger than the interplay between Bane and the Joker. Uh, Bane and Batman. Yeah. You know, I just thought of something. Why hasn't Tom, Tom Hardy got a role in Oppenheimer? Surely they could have fit him in. Every, every friggin' other MF is in it. Why isn't Tom Hardy? <laughs> yeah, Tom Hardy's uh, normally in. Nolan movie, so a bit surprising. Do you reckon um, actors take like less of a salary to feature in a Nolan film? Because I can yes. imagine how much it would have cost people to be cast in this. They has they have to have with the budget for this movie. Because like the fact that the budget come in a hundred million, and they got the NBA All Star game of actors in this. I think Nolan is now probably on the sort of prestige privilege list. The Spielberg and the Scorsese sort of level where. Tarantino. Yeah, where they literally just go, I'm making a movie. I want you in it for this role. And people go, yeah, cool. I'll take eight times less to be in it. Like, I want it. It's oh, okay. it's, it's resume stuff for people. It's like Star Wars too, where big name actors will just be like, can I just be a stormtrooper just so I can be in a Star Wars movie? Yeah, yeah, sick. Yeah, I've definitely got, I get those vibes too. Nolan is on that level now where he just rings someone and goes, do you want to be in this movie? And they go, yeah, whatever, just I'll be in it. Oh, the same full process too. Yeah, like I said, it's like, like even for the like the small actors, like a Ben Safdie or a Josh Peck, like the fact that they've now been in a Nolan film and that's on their resume, like they're going to pick up so much more work and so much better work. Put you in another level. And like then for guys like Matt Damon and who else we said was in, it's Gary Oldman, it's just Robert Downey Jr. It just cements them as the greats. They're like, they're like bookmarks their career. Then before we give our rankings, this also made me want to go and read the book that the movie is adapted from American Prometheus, The Triumph and Tragedy of J. Robert Oppenheimer by Kai Bird and Martin Sherwin. That would be such a tough read, I reckon. Like, it would be a lot, lot to process. For, to have such a good movie come out of it and still want to read the book, I think that says a lot. Oh, uh, yeah. There's a few movies that made me feel like that, but... It's because it's normally the other way around. You you'll read a like, book and like shit. I can't wait to see how other people view that and how it's actually visually portrayed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have only been a very small amount of movies that I've watched. I'm like, I need to go back and read the original novel, yep. and not the uh, movie novel because a lot of movies have a novel, a novelization. Yeah, you want the actual novel that the movie was based on. So, in terms of rating, what would you give Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer? Regretting giving out that five last week now? No, I'm not at all. But it, the, the five for Barbie does come into play here. I don't know. I And I, I think I've settled on a rating. It would be it would be a five if the explosion for the test bombing was bigger and better. That is what's stopping it from being a five. For me, but I don't know. I just feel like it's very close to a five. I mean, if that's the only petty thing I'm going to pull apart from this film, it's too good for a four and a half. I'm going to give this 
4.8 facefuls of zinc out of five. Fair enough. For me, this was a five. This is a must-see, get there and watch it as soon as you can. On the biggest possible screen you can. And yet, don't go to the gala in Warrawong. Like, go to the big cinema. Hey, take nothing away from the gala, Jamie. The gala's fine, but not for this movie. But don't see a Nolan film, no. If you're listening, gala, give us free tickets, though. You need to see this on the biggest possible screen you can find. I treated myself to a little bit of gold class, actually. Had a table service, some arancini balls, pepperoni pizza. I had arancini balls, too. popcorn. At the preview, they had arancini and chocolate brownies. It was great. I ate way too many. And they friggin' slapped. I had like eight of them and I was like, keep these MFs coming. Yeah, they were delicious. I'm a little disappointed IMAX in Sydney hasn't opened yet. Yeah, we're actually talking about this. It's going to be freaking ages, isn't it? It's, it's at the W Hotel, hey? Like, it's still the same building. Apparently, they had troubles with the builder. They said it could be any time this year. So. <sighs> yeah, believe it or not, said. There's one in Melbourne, though, if you're that keen. I think this will be a movie that no matter what else is out at the time that IMAX Sydney opens, they will run this movie. Yeah, I'm here now. Um, it's going to be out forever. And like we just said with the strikes, like nothing new is coming out anytime soon. Like, well, it's going to slow down a lot. Alrighty, so that's Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the commentary booth. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on podcast services and on YouTube. You can follow me on social media at Jamie Media and at Paria Magazine. And you can follow Blake on Twitter at Captain Crumbs with a Z. The Commentary Booth is a fan-funded production of Jamie Apps Media. You can support the podcast alongside our magazine, Pario Magazine, on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Media. The following people supported at the community support group level or higher, and you cannot fathom how incredibly appreciative we are for their support. Brian and June Hart, Blake Robinson, Rena Renee, Courtney Paulson, Darren Hatcliffe, Jackson Carr, and Tracy Epps.